brothers and sisters in Christ, as the gospel writers recount to us the events of Christ's resurrection from the dead, one of the events that might surprise us the most is his appearance to the women. As they were leaving the empty tomb and returning to Jerusalem, behold, writes Matthew, Jesus met them and greeted them. Perhaps we've heard this passage several hundred times, but uh, if you stop and think about it, isn't this a rather strange detail in the story? There are other events, uh, such as the appearance of the angels, the earthquake, and the great fear of the guards, things that we might expect. After all, the resurrection of a man from the dead is bound to be accompanied by momentous and wondrous events. But the thing that might surprise us, the most unexpected event in connection with Christ's resurrection, just might be the appearance of Jesus to the women. In order to recognize this further, notice in Matthew's account that the women had already been told of the resurrection. They had already been comforted. Uh, They had already been charged with an assignment by the angel. And yet Jesus makes this appearance to the women to tell them exactly the things that they had just heard from the angel. In Matthew 28, verse 5, the angel tells the women, do not be afraid. In verse 6, the women are told, he is not here, for he has risen. In verse 7, the angel concludes with this assignment, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Now, listen to what the resurrected Jesus says in verse 10 as he greets the women. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. It's almost identical to what they had already heard. In fact, what they had just heard from the angel. The great difference, of course, is that it was Jesus himself telling them. He doesn't say, I have risen, because they could see that as he stood in front of them. But otherwise, he tells them exactly what they had just heard from the angel. And this heightens the sense of the unexpected. Why would Jesus appear to them and say to them exactly what they had just heard? Why would the Lord of lords and King of kings, so recently victorious over death and the grave, make an appearance to these women? Well, it was just that Jesus was doing what he had always done. He was making himself available to his disciples. In verse 9, we are told, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings which is basically like saying, hello, good morning. So here's the connection, if you're waiting for it, between Matthew's account of Christ's resurrection and the seventh letter of Revelation. In Revelation 3, 14 through 22, not only had Jesus risen from the dead, now he had ascended on high, now he reigns in unimaginable glory. Now he's the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. 
And yet he still makes himself available to the church. Matthew 28, verse 9, the resurrected Christ says, Greetings. And in Revelation 3, verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Which essentially conveys the same idea and the, and the same image of, of drawing near to his own. Behold, says Jesus, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by his word, he is appearing before us today. He is making himself available to us. And the question is, will we receive him? As a first point this evening, then, let's, uh, let's consider further the availability, the availability of Christ to sinners. On one hand, the appearance of Christ to the women on the morning of his resurrection is somewhat surprising and not what we might expect. On the other hand, however, it's exactly what we ought to expect. As I said, it's exactly what Jesus had always done throughout his ministry. He, he had never acted like a, a king in the sense of separating himself from the people. He had, he had chosen his disciples from among the common people. He had allowed a, a repenting prostitute to touch him and honor him, pouring perfume on his feet. He had accepted dinner invitations from tax collectors. Uh, he had even invited himself over to the, the house of another tax collector named Zacchaeus. And his explanation for such behavior was this. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call not the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus made himself available to sinners exactly because he came to save sinners. And upon his resurrection, with his, with his victory and authority in hand, we might not expect that he would appear to these common women. First, because they were common. Secondly, because they were women. In, in that culture, women had a, a lower status in, in society. They, they were not looked upon as reliable witnesses. So he wasn't looking to gain their valuable testimony to his resurrection. They didn't have any money or prestige, as if Jesus was looking to gain anything from them. He was simply doing what he had always done, making himself available to those whom he came to save. But the thing that makes it most significant, that Christ is available to sinners, is the divinity of Christ. Christ is God. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And when we compare the coming of Christ and his availability to sinners to the coming of God at Mount Sinai, for example, it's not just significant, but it's, it's marvelous. In, in, in Exodus 19, the fact that God is holy and uh, his people um, are not holy but sinful 
It's made abundantly clear in Exodus 19. The separation between God and his people is, is remarkably clear. Exodus 19 verse 16 says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Hebrews 12, verse 21, says of Mount Sinai, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So let's not think that between the coming of God at Mount Sinai and the coming of God in Christ, that that God somehow changed, that, that God just decided to tone it down a bit. Let's remember what we see of Christ in Revelation 1. Let's remember what John writes of his experience when he saw a vision of the exalted Christ. He writes, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. So it's it's not that the character of God as a holy God has changed. It's not uh, that the appearance of God to sinners is any less fearful and terrifying. And yet the same Christ that, that made John fall down as though dead for fear of him is the Christ who indeed says, fear not. The same Christ who even says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Do we understand then how significant, how marvelous it is that Christ is yet available today to sinners? It's it's not that Christ is any less divine than the God of Mount Sinai. In fact, he is the God of Mount Sinai. It's not that Christ is any less holy, his, his appearance any less terrifying. It's that Christ is the goodness of God toward us. Christ is the the grace and the mercy of God toward his people. As Christ is available to sinners, so God is available to us. And we have no other hope of gaining communion with God apart from Christ. We must have no other thought of drawing near to God and gaining his blessing except by opening the door to Christ as he knocks even at our own day, at our own door, even in our own day. And so there is something else that we need to consider, and this is a second point, that that we need to know the provision of Christ for sinners, the provision of Christ for sinners. It It matters very little if Christ makes himself available to sinners unless he has something to give us, unless he has exactly what we need. And let us be sure that he does. He, uh, let us be sure uh, of what he provides us. Uh, his provision is what we hear in verse 18. I counsel you, says Christ, to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself with the shame, uh, clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, 
and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Here we get a, a very important clarification and understanding the relationship of Christ to sinners. Christ certainly makes himself available to sinners. He stands at the door and knocks. He offers to come in and eat with them and they with him. But Christ will not come to flatter sinners, but rather to save them. And in verse 17, he, he has just made this charge uh, against us. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Try to, try to find an ounce of flattery in, in that. And this is why so many turn away from Christ in, in his ministry on earth, or why they did turn away from him in his ministry on earth, and, and why so many turn away today. Um, oh, they might, they might like to be friends with the king, but they would demand to meet him on much more even ground in a much more mutual relationship. We need to understand, especially we in the church, we need to understand what it means to call Christ our Lord. We might freely confess Christ as our Lord, meaning that we, we know he's the boss, we know he's the king, we know he's in charge, we intend to obey him, we will follow him, we will commit our lives to him, we will do his will. And we might think that uh, we have opened the door to him because we're serving him, uh, we're obeying him. But indeed, we may not, uh, we may yet be, even in that commitment, we may yet be wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Because a Lord, you see, is one who provides for his people. While perhaps we have not yet come to depend on him, to depend fully upon him as our Lord. But why then does Christ speak of buying from him? We had to deal with this this morning as well. If you recall, it sounds quite mutual, doesn't it? Buy from me, says, says Christ. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, white garments to clothe your nakedness, and salve to anoint your eyes. Well, he puts it this way. Again, as we saw in Isaiah 55 this morning, he he puts it this way, not because his provision is for sale, but because he's talking to people who thought they were rich, people who, who thought they could acquire whatever they wanted to by their money. Does that sound familiar to our own culture? And the point is simply to say, forget your money. What you really need is what only I can give you, what I must provide you. And so it's just as Christ says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, Come, everyone who thirsts, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. If you're so confident in your money, then at least come buy what I have. But in the end, what Christ has to provide us can only, let's be abundantly clear, it can only be received as a gift from him. In fact, if you try to buy it or earn it or achieve it, you will never receive it. You must receive it in full dependence upon Christ, your Lord, your provider. And what does he provide? 
In verse 18 again, he provides us with gold refined by fire. He provides us with the riches of heaven. Heaven is the gift of God. Do we understand this? Heaven is the gift of God in Jesus Christ. Not for those who think to climb their way in, nor for those who suppose that they deserve it or that they can buy it, but it's for those who fully depend upon Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, if we would only keep our eyes on the gold of heaven, we may not have it in our hands now, but the things of this world are are passing away. Your car is rusting out day by day. Your house will one day inevitably be be torn down. Your investment portfolio eventually will be divided between your lawyer, the government, and your heirs. None of it will last. And you can't take any of it with you anyhow. Let us answer the call of Christ to look to the riches that he bestows And let us keep our eyes on heaven. Next, the provision of Christ is white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. This, we must understand, is the very righteousness of Christ. As we come to him in faith, he not only removes our rags, the rags of our sin, he not only provides, in other words, for the forgiveness of, of our sins, he even clothes us with the white robe of his perfect obedience. Righteousness is the gift of God, as again we saw this morning a bit of overlap between morning and evening uh, sermons today. Righteousness is the gift of God in Jesus Christ, not for those who, who want Christ to make up for some deficit in their obedience. And it's not for those who want to contribute anything of their own works, but it's for those, as we hear in Philippians 3, who fully depend upon Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, are you wearing the white robe of Christ's righteousness? It's his blood and righteousness, your only plea before a holy God. If so, then we must confess the words of Isaiah 64, verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. God is not looking for more good deeds stacked up against our sins. He requires perfection. And it's a just requirement. Because he first created us in his own image. In the beginning, he created us holy. In demanding holiness of us, he is only requiring what he gave to us in the beginning. So how will we stand before God in the end? In our own obedience? Our own obedience is a matter of nakedness. What we need And so desperately so is the white robe of Christ's perfect obedience, his righteousness to clothe us. And so we must confess, again, the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, I count it all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God 
that depends on faith. Also, the provision of Christ is this, this salve to put on our eyes so that we can see Christ provides us, uh, we can understand this with wisdom. Uh, other than wealth, uh, their own wisdom is what sinners rely on. But Christ says, you're blind, you're, you're not nearsighted, you're not farsighted, you don't have a, a stigmatism, you're blind. So wisdom, spiritual sight and understanding, this is the gift of God in Jesus Christ as well. There was a day, if you recall, in the life, uh, in the life and ministry of Jesus when a group of men were looking right at Jesus, and yet he diagnosed them with blindness. We are just like them except that Christ should open our eyes. So let us seek from Christ the sight that we need, the eyes that we uh, need to see that this world is passing away. We need to see that the stuff of this world is a matter of trinkets compared to the riches of heaven. The best garments with which we might clothe ourselves will leave us naked before a holy God. And as much as we can see these things, as much as uh, we can, uh, as much as we can see Christ in His glory, let us see to pray, or let us pray to see all the better. We need our eyes open more and more to know both our need and to know the full provision that Christ has made for us. And that raises then a third point, and here we conclude with the problem of insipid faith. We need to see that this problem uh, was not with those outside the church, but with those in the church. In, uh, in verse 15, Christ charged the church with being lukewarm. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Strong words from the Lord. Christ uh, used this, uh, the scholars tell us that Christ used this particular analogy because this city uh, had a poor water supply. Water had to be piped into Laodicea from a distance so that by the time it got there it was it was lukewarm. There was a neighboring city that uh, had a hot spring and, and another city uh, that had a cold well. But this city had lukewarm water. So Christ was simply uh, applying the analogy to the faith of the church there, uh, like a drink of warm water that just kind of sits there in your mouth, or like a drink of coffee that has grown cold, well, so was the faith of this church. It wasn't that they needed to, to be more on fire for the Lord. It, it wasn't that they needed to do more things and be more spiritual. It, it was that their faith was not one of full dependence upon Christ. They were far too wealthy to keep their eyes on heaven. They were far too immersed in their own spirituality to live and worship in utter dependence upon Christ. To make matters worse, they were far too wise in their own eyes to recognize the problem. And that's exactly where the church is, I think we can see, in our own day and culture. We are too wealthy to find our riches in Christ. 
We are too spiritual to glory in Christ and His righteousness. And we are too wise in our own eyes to recognize the problem. So as Christ greets us this evening, and He does greet us, He greets everyone. He greets the unbeliever. And He says, here I am with all that you need to be saved. And he greets the spiritual or religious person as well, saying the same thing. Here I am with all that you need to be saved. He greets both because both are sinners. And both need the things that only he can provide. The riches of heaven, the white robe of his righteousness, the wisdom to see our need for both. Where are you this evening? If you know your sin, rejoice. Rejoice in that conviction and be glad because you're a step ahead of you're a step ahead of so many others. If if you know your sin, then then do not doubt that Jesus stands before you this evening saying, Greetings, I am here for you. I am here for you, not because you're good enough, but exactly because you're a sinner. And to the sinner who knows his sin, Christ says, I alone have what you most need. Trust me, and I will save you. But if you think you've got it all put together and that Christ had better greet someone else, well then grieve, mourn, wail, because you're more lost than the sinner buried in scandal. For those who are blind... Christ must first open your eyes. Wherever you are this evening, Christ is available to us as sinners. He will not flatter us. He will not relate to us without providing fully for us in our utter poverty. What he will do is save us as we come to him in the utter dependence of true faith. Amen. Let's pray. What a marvelous promise we have from you, Lord Jesus, that you stand at the door and knock, that we can find fellowship with you even in our own day by, by word and prayer, by word and, and by spirit. We We do want to spend time with you, Lord Jesus. We want to know that you are the great King, the great Lord God provider, and yet you are a friend of sinners. And uh, you uh, come to us, and uh, you will save us as we open the door in faith and uh, trust you in your supply and all that we need to be forgiven and to be counted righteous in your holy eyes. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being such a Savior to each of us. May each of us, sinners as we are, receive you and your saving provision in true faith. In in your name we pray. Amen.